Hi, I'm Sarah May, and I'm the host of your new favorite show, Help Me Be Me. It's a self-help podcast for people who hate self-help. Help Me Be Me is full of practical tools to help you overcome a variety of emotional challenges, delivered in a way that's caring but frank. So if that sounds up your alley, I would invite you to check out Help Me Be Me on the iHeart app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. I hope you're well and I regret to inform you that I'm not and I've been in and out of hospital in the past week so I haven't been able to record you a new episode and I'm so sorry. But I do have a brilliant one from before that feels especially poignant right now. It is with my friend Shay Yakuwowo who is a founder and executive director of Glitch which is a organisation that is built to protect people from online bullying and all of the toxic behavior online that leads to real mental health issues in other people. And they hold big tech accountable to make sure that our digital spaces are as safe as possible, not just for children, but for everyone engaging online, because we are all vulnerable and we all have some form of fragility that can be exploited by social networks that aren't careful with the safety of its population. And given how horrific the online discourse has been this week with what's happening in the Middle East and how I think a lot of us feel quite stunned to see the hyper-normalised oversimplification of a huge subject and the way it's being weaponised to harm other people. And we're seeing the real-life consequences of that, of how if you learn how to dehumanise people and shrug and look the other way when they're suffering, then that enables Uh, those in power to make them suffer even more and we're not going to do anything about it and we're not paying enough attention and then awful monstrosities can happen right on our watch because we've learned how to dehumanize one another. I'm not going to get into that right now because I'm on a lot of painkillers and I don't want to speak out of turn, but anything I have thought with a clearer head is on my Instagram, on my IG highlight under Israel and Palestine. Uh, Right now is not the time to get into it for my brain because I'm just a big old mashed potato inside of a skull currently. Um, But Shay is brilliant and she reminds me in this episode about algorithms and how they favour outrage and they favour division and how there are people making money off of this. When we speak to each other badly, there are people who actually literally profit. We talk about a host of other things. It's just a fascinating conversation. She's an amazing thinker, speaker and human being. And if the world had more people like her in it, I don't think that we would see such mess and violence and chaos online right now. So... I hope you enjoy this chat. I think you will. Those of you who listened last time really did. And I just feel glad to introduce you, if this is your first time, to the shining bright light that is Shea Yakawawa. Shay Akuowo, welcome to Ai Weigh. How are you? Hi, I'm okay. I mean, we're recording this in what could have been a better week for the state of the world, but I yeah. am okay. Yes. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I mean, I'm considering your uh, line of work, what this week, because I mean, what this whole year has felt like for you as a black woman existing within society, watching all of these things about police brutality in the UK, in the US, and now also in Nigeria, considering Shay's work before as a British Nigerian women's rights activist and campaigner. This is, I imagine, just 
incredibly triggering and tough. And it, you know, I think all of us feel like we're seeing in so many different ways the the world move backwards. Um, and so therefore, mm. considering what a shit show it is online, <laughs> the world has never needed a company like yours more. So you run a charity called Glitch UK. And I wonder if you would tell us exactly what it is that you do. So um, we're called Glitch and we are based in the UK and we're a small charity determined to make the space online a lot safer for all. Mm -hmm. Um, We are aware that women and girls are disproportionately impacted by online abuse and harms and those with intersecting identities also are at risk. And so we do a lot around raising awareness of how online abuse impacts different communities and doing that through an intersectional lens. We raise awareness with both government and tech companies through our advocacy work to try and get systematic on long-term change. But we also want to address the kind of exodus of women leaving the online space or having to deal with the repercussions of being online, whether it's career, financially, socially, mentally, health-wise, and by delivering training and resources. And we've been going for three years. It was birthed out of my experience of being a then-politician And a video of a speech that I had made at the European Parliament went viral. And it was about racial injustice, actually. And it went viral and it was fine at first. I thought, yeah, this is it. Going to get a blue tick on Twitter. Going to get invited (laughs) onto the Ellen show. Idris Elba's finally going to respond to my tweets and declarations of love. No, none of that happened. Somebody posted on a neo-Nazi website. And then I was on the receiving end of trolling and online abuse. And it was just really clear, being a black woman, that the law was lacking the response from society as well was lacking the around the victim blaming around saying, well, it's just part of the job, put a stick, stick with it. And yeah, I guess my kind of stubbornness and annoyance and anger just birthed this oops baby called Glitch. We've been going for three years. That's amazing. And what was the toll on your mental health when that video first went viral and you started being hounded by actual Nazis? I think the toll on my mental health was on to, in two ways because I think the positive of like going viral and everyone like, you know, sharing that obviously kicks off some crazy endorphins and it's great. But that also did take a toll on my mental health in having to respond and feel like I was on and having to engage and constant notifications. And then, yeah, the tide turning as well, because I went into kind of fight mode. I think everyone has a different response mechanism when it comes to trauma because mm-hmm. I went into fight mode I didn't realize how exhausted I was until somebody told me to stop and I was away working um in Dubai facilitating for the British Council and um I had like a three days before having to go to the next next workshop and I just stopped and my body like seized up it's like I'd been at the gym working out like trying to trying to do I don't know auditions for like a Iron Man or something <laughs> I don't know my body was just hurting and it was that at that point that I said when I come back I'm not going to do the campaign for two months so I took a break and they came back in um over the summer um and I realized that I was coming out of a place of definitely informed trauma but I was being led by my trauma I was fearful I was paranoid I wasn't sleeping I wasn't eating and it was all being masked in this kind of fight mode but it was definitely a psychological and physiological response to uh, the abuse anytime my notifications went off good or bad or just like a council email I was getting this kind of relived moment and thank god to the NHS that I was able to get therapy and it was in my first kind of couple of weeks of diagnosis that um an assessment that they said to me that I was suffering from post-stress disorder and PTSD and I and I thought, well, those were only things that happened with like really horrific, violent 
situations. And I was totally downplaying how traumatic the whole experience was Mm -hmm. and having to go through CBT for six months and really having a new relationship with the internet, a new relationship with my phone, a new relationship with how I set boundaries. And that was really tough because of of what I do. I'm Mm. constantly having to talk about my story, constantly having to be around other women and and non-binary people who experienced an online abuse and having to set boundaries in a way that I could tell my story without re-triggering myself and also be in the room and hold space for other people where I wasn't then letting them down. And that took a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, I love what you said about the fact that work in advocacy, work online should be trauma-informed but not trauma-led. I wonder if you would expand on that a little bit. Yeah. It was a revelation, I think, late last year around how a lot of our kind of movements, whether it's anti-racist, any form of anti-oppression is birthed out of a lived experience. And that is trauma. And it's great because it means that we are are able to uh, stop that trauma affecting so many other people. You see it with FGM campaigners, so female gen- genital mutilation campaigners. You see it with you know people who are really putting themselves on their line and using their stories. But at the same time, how do we make sure that our trauma doesn't continue to lead us? So we're not led by our trauma, but we're informed by it. And so we, we're we not too singular issue focused and therefore potentially doing other harms to other groups of people who are marginalised. Mm. And how we make sure that we're taking care of ourselves so we're not burning out. So our movements and our work and our campaigns are sustainable. And it was really, it really came to like a massive revelation for me when I was just seeing so many more campaigns having to be birthed because of the the way our structure and society is all around the world. And there just been a lack of care and support and philanthropy for campaigners to be able to heal and be able to continuously heal and do that inward work. And that's why I'm really just passionate about, yes, let's be trauma-informed, but let's not be trauma-led and let that not be really the thing that becomes a new sexy thing to do is like bear all online, which we think is Mm. great transparency, but actually can be doing so much harm because not everybody's nice online. There are a lot of dickheads that can use your vulnerability and your transparency to hurt you. And I think it's really about spending more time giving that care to our leaders and to our campaigners who are at the forefront. Christ, have I learned what it's like to be vulnerable and then have people turn that around onto me and then use that to either like gaslight me or discredit me or mock me and my family. So I definitely agree with that. And I think I've definitely pulled back a tiny bit. Not in that I will, you know, not continue to be open and very transparent, but I think there are certain parts of me that now I'm just like, not everyone in the world is is decent or is even trying to receive this with any kind of integrity. So I think that's I think that's so important that you point that out. And also I think it's important that we don't trigger ourselves, right? So there's a point in in the setup of glitch and being online and doing the work and speaking and all of this stuff that I, I could see that I was getting a little bit addicted to the trauma. I was leaving, I was searching like the comments. I was checking my direct messages. It's like I wanted to continue to inflict pain on myself. And it was really weird how easy it is to be addicted to the trauma and to the violence. There's a lot of study out there around um, around trauma. And I think if we're going to have more movements, sadly, because of the way the world is birthed out of it, we have to have a better relationship with how our organisations and campaigns, in order to be sustainable, in order to be inclusive, isn't so trauma-led. I didn't know that. The fact that we are, as as human beings, kind of prone to being a bit addicted to seeing doom and gloom and trauma. I, in, my, in my head, that doesn't even seem practical. I completely believe it. And also, like, I've seen myself do it and I've seen countless other people mm. do it. Can you expand on that at all? Just because that's fascinating to me. 
I mean, I think we see it every day with how bad news sells um, in yeah. the media, um, but storylines as well. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lover of EastEnders. <laughs> I'm a lover of Scandal <laughs> and Grey's Anatomy. So true. <laughs> yeah, just the horror and, genre. I wonder if it's a safety thing of like, I need to know what's out there. I need to know what's coming. Yeah, definitely. Because no one had my back before, so I've got to have my own back. No one really has black women's back, so I've got to have my own back. Yeah. 100%. There could be a bit around survival for sure. And there is something around, have we internalized, maybe we deserve it? We deserve the the infliction Mm -hmm. of this pain. There is so much to unpack. And this is why I definitely just think there needs to be, well, globally, a better relationship around mental health and how we talk about mental health care and mental illness and everything. But how we say it's okay for our leaders and our campaigners to take rest and do things from a place of rest and from a place of joy because that's where you see creativity and inclusivity and love rather than trauma and violence where there's now a scarcity of resource. I'm going to do my bit, go away. I'm going to apply for that fund application and not with you and there's no collaboration and and innovative thinking. Well, they talk about it as well in our body, that fight, flight and freeze and all of that. And that the cortisone that it builds in your body through adrenaline is only meant to be a f- for a short space of time. If we're constantly being addicted to that adrenaline in our body, it is eating away our muscles. It's eating away at all the good things in our body. That's why I don't have any muscles. I wondered <laughs> why, why I, I didn't have any muscles. <laughs> That's oh, why I can't do a pull up. It's because I'm always on Twitter. <laughs> it's not because I'm lazy. <laughs> Go no, on. no. Yeah, I can't do push-up either, so we're there. But I only know this through lived experience, through lots of trial and error, through lots of, as you said, you know, my pain being seen out there and, you know, lots of, like, breakdowns and having to really dig deep around what self-care and self-love is. And not everybody gets this. It comes across selfish as some people. It comes across... um, you know, having to push against the tide of like burnout and act, burnout being this kind of martyrdom and badge in activist culture and, and in campaigns, it's, it, it is hard. So true. It's so funny because it is so important to understand that that working yourself into the ground is not appropriate. It's not helpful. It doesn't achieve anything. If anything, it's just you create a much shorter lifespan for your work. And as you said, your moment of innovation. Um, and yet, you know, I think especially with with brown women and more so with black women, there is just this idea that we don't feel you don't feel pain, you don't feel exhaustion, you are just a, a mule to be piled onto who's kind of carrying the world on your shoulders. And so when it comes to all of my Black friends, especially those who are activists, I notice that self-care isn't something that is ever targeted at them. It's a Self-care is white. And, yeah. and and that is just the way it's been marketed. If you look at every spa, I've never seen like a spa that has a Black woman or even a brown woman in a uh, in a the dressing gown with you know the slippers and the head and a wrap and you know, with cucumbers on her on her eyes. Exactly, and something that is going to actually fit my afro hair. I mean, I don't know if you've been <laughs> like those shower caps they give you in the hotel ain't gonna ain't gonna do anything. No, it's a for, condom. For, for yeah, me. I'm convinced <laughs> it's a condom. <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right in that. If we want our campaigns, our movements to be sustainable and yeah. to be truly revolutionary, we have to take heed to the words of Audre Lorde that self-care is a revolutionary act. For, for a Black woman to say no and to say yes to herself and not to continuously serve and be a conduit for other people is so revolutionary in itself. And if we can get young girls and women to be saying, setting boundaries based on their needs, that 
in I believe is also a, will be a game changer in that in the, in the mental health movement in the kind of self care movement. But also, yeah, I'd love to see like a black owned spa that would be truly inclusive for treatments that would be working for my skin <laughs> and my skin tone. Yeah, a hundred percent. And where you see people who look like you in there and on the pictures. Yeah, I a hundred percent hear that. And I think that I think that conversation is definitely starting, especially, you know, over the course of the summer where people were just realizing they were so traumatized and they really, you know, post George Floyd, uh, mm. I think people are starting to use that terminology more. It's just about the access to it. Well, for us, we saw in the UK um, a guy called Desmond up in Manchester be violently tasered by the police in front of his daughter while at the petrol station. And the glitch team said, this we have there's something for us to be doing here when talking to tech companies about platforms and a greater autonomy of the platforms and what it means to be a digital citizens with rights and responsibility. And then two months later, that George Floyd happened and we saw his murder. We saw him call out for his late mother um, and the pain. And that was constantly shared and retweeted with no mm. trigger warning labels, with no with no opportunity to opt in. It was like, you saw the hashtag Black Lives Matter, you followed certain accounts and it was on your timeline. And the algorithms were basically profiting from it and centering all, which was great for awareness, but not great for mental health. And there's got to be a way, as we've seen it now this week and in the coming weeks as well, because it's only going to get worse before it gets better and the revolution comes in Nigeria, amen. We're going to see more graphic content and we're going to see more documentation and live stream of what's happening on the ground because we need to know. But this is where tech companies can invest some of their some of their billions in making that process of trigger warning, sensitive labels, responsible uploading, blurring, muting, blur, just blur, blur, blur so blurring, that someone can opt in to make that a clear image, muting, filtering, all yeah. sorts. There's so much that can be done so that we can still stay aware, but not at the expense of Black people's mental health and well-being and and their dignity and humanity. And there's one point I want to make as well. I'm not sure how this is going to land with people. We'll, we'll find out, I guess, on Twitter or Instagram because they'll probably tell me. But <laughs> we've had examples of documentation before and we're in history repeating itself. Mm-hmm. We have documentations of genocide. We have documentations of Holocaust. We have documentations of slavery. Mm-hmm. That has not changed America that has not changed civil wars that are going on in former colonized countries. That has not made former empires and still empires today in neocolonialism any better. So mm-hmm. I'm also we're taking my glitch hat off a little bit and not just talking about the online space. I'm also a little bit up to here about documentation needing to justify humanity and experience. 100%. And actually what we want is just to listen to our words. We don't need to keep seeing murders be live streamed on Facebook and and on Twitter. A hundred percent. I agree with you so much. Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there. 
I'm Liza Powell O'Brien, and I'm a writer, a reader, and the wife of someone you may have heard of. And I'm here to tell you about the newest season of my podcast for Team Coco, Significant Others. Each week, we tell stories you may not know about a person you probably do, like Benedict Arnold, whose wife Peggy may be the reason he almost succeeded in betraying his country. Look for Significant Others wherever you get your podcasts. You and I have kind of become mates over the last year. Would you say, is it year, year and a half? Yeah, yeah. I think mostly times in which we would reach out to each other is when we saw the other one was on fire uh, online. And I've really appreciated that friendship and those moments to have those really massive conversations. And when the other one is being trolled or taken out of context, the way that we have been able to support and uplift each other. And sometimes we don't always agree. And it's, mm. and those conversations are always had with so much love and so much care and a knowledge that the other one has good intentions. It's and trying I, their best. Exactly. And so, you know, I think that you and I will sometimes kind of so lightly debate. I was going back to our WhatsApps over the last year, just before this chat, just to kind of reminisce and just seeing the way in which we engage with each other. Christ, I wish more people had that. And I've never even met you. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is the first time we've actually been face to face. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. But but I feel like I know you because of how intimately we've spoken in such vulnerable moments. And I cannot express to people how much more that inspires someone to be their best self when they don't feel as though they're being written off and undermined. I'm not saying you can't criticize because Shay and I are open with each other about, you know, the harms of quote tweeting or the different things that, and, you know, we are also very open with each other about our mistakes in the past, mm-hmm. which we'll get into in a minute. But we speak to each other with the knowledge and with the hope that the other person has a heart and has some integrity and a brain and that actually you more want to call them in than just like, not even call them out. Calling people out is fine, but just cast them aside. It feels like yeah. there's so much of that now. Just dim, just dismissing someone, diminishing them. I'm not talking about cancel culture. I think that's a different thing. We'll, I've talked about it a billion times on this fucking podcast. But I'm just saying the way that we, even with people that we love, mm. it's like, oh, you have a different political belief to me? Well, then fuck you. Fuck you forever. I'm not talking to you. I'm blocking your number anymore. Rather than just trying to engage. I feel like we're not even allowed to engage with those in the opposition. Otherwise, we're considered allies to the opposition. You know, so for example, for a minute, I was trying to see if I could follow people who oppose the rights of those that I fight for. Because I wondered if maybe if I could understand them and maybe they could understand me we could start to come to some sort of compromise or humanity or just some sort of, I don't know, I don't know if it's like a stalemate, but a, a way to just humanise one another and and maybe I could educate them. But just by following them, I was considered like an evil mm, villain. Mm, mm. Or just for even asking the question, I was like, is it helpful if we never talk to each other? Mm. Just by asking that question, I was accused of denying the rights of those that I was fighting for. And I'm just like, I'm not the expert here. I'm not saying you necessarily are, but what the fuck Mm. do we do with that? Like, how are Mm. we ever going to get to a better place if we can't just have the conversation? Mm. Mm. There's so much there. I think, number one, you're right that digital citizenship, you know, online etiquette, all the things we've been discussing up until now, 
isn't about saying that we're all going to, it's all about us creating an online space. We're always going to agree. Like that's, that's not it. I'm not, we're not going to get that utopia. It's saying that we can disagree without it descending to online abuse. And we can post without automatically assuming everybody is going to agree. It works on both sides. People shutting down debate because somebody is disagreeing with them and it's not venturing into abuse and then co-opting the term online abuse, which I find really annoying, obviously, because of what I do, and using it to protect their... Accountability. They're exactly to 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 put to, to to push accountability away and to protect their their privileged identity, and that irks me. I want to pull my eyelashes out. But on the on, on the flip side, we can criticize without having it to descend to online abuse, without having to descend into name calling and to vitriol. And I have to sometimes catch myself because I'll start, a t- I'll read a tweet and I'll agree with it and I'll like it. And then it will end, it will just go off in some way. And I was like, why don't you just stop there? And I have to unlike it because of what you just said about it later on saying, oh, charity of um, anti-abuse um, online likes a abusive tweet. I just know that what's, I just know that's what's going to happen. There's another thing you said there about how do we have a dialogue? This doesn't mean that now we're going to invite a racist for Christmas. So we're going to, no. invite, we're going to, you know, we're not going to get a turkey. We're not going to get a turkey. We're going to bring a racist round because we can do our little social bubble here in the UK. Like that's not what it's about, and and that's people on you know t- t- two extremes. There is a social studies show. There is a conflicted middle. There is a conflicted middle of people who have grown up conditioned in patriarchy and have been victims the way some of us have been in, in in how we have to bow down to men in terms of servitude, in terms of uh, the hierarchy of oppression and the hierarchy of races. There are people who have been conditioned to that and are on the beginning of their journey to, I guess, being woke and want to know and are making a lot of mistakes. And those mm. are people that can be engaged with, doesn't mean the person who is the oppressed, so black women having to tell white women how to be better. No, that's where allies can come in and do that. Yeah. And I think that's where we should be supportive. You know, one thing I was, it was really good, my work wife, Gabby um, Edlin, she's uh, set up a charity called Bloody Good Period, and it's about period equity. And when it came to the height of Black Lives Matter, she volunteered herself as a service, basically, to black women who were having white women in their DMs asking them questions. She is a Jewish woman who said, for the next week, please don't message these women. Message me and I'll do the education. That is what I mean about creatively using the online space to do the work, to bring more people in to understand, who genuinely want to understand, who are not being lazy, but are so confused. 100%. And I think the reason why I have this stance which is not the same for everybody which is fine is because I look at where how I was brought up and where I'm from and everything was set on the cards for me to be a dickhead the way I was brought up in the church the way I was brought up to um in terms of other sexual identities all of everything I have have and know now has all been self-taught it was all through one like lecture at university about critical race study and education and it it, it pulled a thread I was privileged enough to be able to go to university and get that and then do that unraveling myself and really, you know, challenge the church, leave church and challenge my family and and no, not talk to certain family members because I did that. And that's where I feel like I have to be gracious to people who are on their journey. Again, this is not being 
gracious to dickheads who are intentionally setting up political parties and, you know, are, are calling Black Lives Matter a threat to democracy. This is not about that. It's about that those conflicted middle, those people who want to who want to be on our side, but just don't get it, just don't understand. And even people who do get it on certain issues and have got completely blind spots on others. Another example, me, I used to be anti-Semitic. It used to be so... I didn't realise it was a trope because it was so embedded in jokes in school, so embedded in certain music references. And it was literally until... I remember being in a council meeting um, about three, four years ago and they, they read out the definition of what tropes were and they gave examples. And I literally wanted to be sick because I was like, I can't believe I call myself an anti-racist. I've come on a journey to understand uh, how to be a better ally to trans communities and LGBT communities. And I had this blind spot and I did the work. I said like, I said, to, I said to, to, to Jewish friends, like I'm, I am, I'm so sorry, I'm now going to be that white woman that says... How have I missed this? And again, having friends who were so gracious to me to get me to see my blind spots. And, and then I did I did um, work experience with the Holocaust Education Trust. I then became a facilitator for the Anne Frank Trust to really like give back and to learn and to do the work. And then I did a thread and I just said, I, I totally get why some people don't see their anti-Semitic. Let me tell you from somebody who used to be anti-Semitic. And I did a thread and it wasn't to... And I didn't retweet any of the pros or anything like that. I did it as a way of saying, I, as a black woman who prided themselves on being an anti-racist, still had blind spots. And I think that's also important to, 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 to realise that as we get as we progress in society, which is what we want, mm. we're going to realise that we've been a little bit of a dickhead. Particularly as, as, as we've grown up on social media, we, we've got a digital footprint that reminds us that we're a dickhead as well. Oh, I yeah, I'm, I, I'm very well aware. I have uh, <laughs> many, many footprints, uh, <laughs> several hundred down the beach. Um, the internet never forgets. And thank God, because I've become a better person for the fact that the internet didn't forget and I wasn't able to just sort of brush it under the carpet. Uh, yeah, I I similarly to you was was primed and ready to be uh, a prick. And and so, you know, <laughs> uh, and it made me a bit of a prick. I'm probably still a bit of a prick and I'm still undoing my prickishness every single day uh you know I was super I was such a fucking misogynist until so recently like eight years ago I was one of those girls who was just like no I don't really have female friends no many friends are guys now most of my friends <laughs> most of my mm-hmm. best friends are all women um mm-hmm. I uh I thought that rape culture was perpetuated by women I didn't un- I didn't even know the word patriarchy until like six years ago if that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about non-binary people I didn't know anything really about the mm-hmm, history of mm-hmm. trans women like mm-hmm. I was calling myself a feminist and slut shaming female celebrities and blaming women and saying that women are vacuous and dumb and like all these oh I I would beat if I had any upper body strength I would beat <laughs> the old me up so, but, but I haven't got any muscles because as we said online the stress ate all my muscles uh-huh. yeah it's not because I'm weak um <laughs> so no uh no so I I was someone that I I hate now when I look back on I, I forgive but I'm just like I'm embarrassed by it. I don't even hate them I understand that they were a product of their environment and something that I have found problematic personally and I've seen it happen to many other people is that when they do what you did which was incredibly brave both here and on that Twitter thread when you owned up to your own previous mistake 
I think that's incredibly brave. And when I heard you do it, it made me respect you even more and find you even more inspiring. But I feel like, especially in the last year, now when you own up to your previous mistakes, Mm. there's like quite a lot of vitriolic, there's a big vitriolic response or when you say that I did this eight years ago. You know, we saw it just um, not too long ago with Jennifer Lawrence, where she owned up to the fact that in 2008, she was 18 years old. She had been raised very religious, very Republican, been told only about the fiscal benefits of being a Republican, didn't really know anything about democracy or Democrats and and didn't know any Democrats because she lived in Mm. Kentucky, which is a very Republican area. Mm. So she owned up Mm. to the fact that, you know, she until eight years ago was a Republican and over time has grown up, learned, changed her views, started to align more with the world, became a Bernie supporter, has become a full Democrat, uh, has been mortified by Trump and really had him expose the the problems within the Republican community. And all Mm. I have seen online since is hatred towards her mm. and and I, I don't know her I've got no you know allegiance <laughs> to Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> um, but like I but I just feel like that's so short-sighted like mm. this is a woman who's saying like look this has been my journey in order to reach out to people who might mm-hmm. be on the same journey. journey she's not bragging about the fact that she didn't vote for the first ever black president she's saying I was you know she was like I was a little Republican, I think those are her exact words. She didn't mean a small amount Republican. She meant I was a a small child Republican. And the way that people have ripped her apart, I found the same thing with me whenever I've owned up to my old slut shaming. People are like, nope, that's a tattoo. You've done that now. And oh, well done. You've owned up to it. And whenever I say like, oh, I'm learning, you know, or anyone else says learning, you know, or like, oh, progress, not perfection. People are like, oh, fuck off. She always says she's learning. Progress, not perfection. It's like, no, this is, that's human. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not saying I'm learning and then repeating the same mistakes. I might make new mistakes, but I'm always learning and growing. And we have a kind of shaming of saying that you're learning or saying that you're in progress. It's as if you should just bugger off, do all of the, you know, no, I think you should do the work in private. So that's not what I'm trying to say, but you should just bugger off, learn everything and come out perfectly saying the exact right amount and and coming across as if you are this like omniscient, all-knowing, excellent being. Whereas I don't find that very fucking accessible. The reason that I make a point of if I fuck up, being vulnerable, saying sorry, and then teaching people as I go along or bringing someone on my podcast or making a YouTube video to explain the history of it, what we can all do, how we can all be better so that other people don't make the same mistake as me. I don't think we should be meeting people like that with mockery. I think that that's the only progressive... If we don't believe in change, what the fuck is the point of activism? I completely agree with you. Again, at the risk of people telling me why I shouldn't agree with you. Uh, um, no, I know. I know you get shit for being friends with me. <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm sorry think, about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I think also because, or just on that, I think a lot of people want everything to be public and be publicly reprimanded. And and people, I think people forget m- what my job is. I'm a, I'm a CEO of a charity. We've got to be cross-party. I, you know, there's things that I would love to say, obviously. And there's some things mm-hmm. that I do say when it really is a violation, like what's happened this week with Nigeria and, th- and there needing to be a global response that is not what global response has been in the past, which is just to invade and take oil. Um, so I've kind of, I've kind of built an immune system to the kind of expectations around what needs to be done in public and what needs to be done in private and people just needing to mind their own business. 
But there, well, well, I agree with you, particularly is around this this idea of perfectionism in feminism and in activism. And I don't know where the fuck it came from because we know the world's not perfect. That's why there's activism. So I don't know where it's come from. And I don't know if it's something that's still lingering from being conditioned around um, perfection and what patriarchy wants from women to be perfect and be well, so well groomed and put together. And, and again, perfect that we um, place that massive expectation on each other and on ourselves i was gonna say we cancel ourselves so easily and on ourselves absolutely and the danger of that is one we we create idols we create people that we Mm -hmm. now worship and adore because we expect perfection from them and we don't we don't allow people to make mistakes obviously if you're in forms of leadership you shouldn't be making so many mistakes because that's why you're leading Mm -hmm. but we I don't think we I think the balance needs to tip back so we're able to see humanity in people which is imperfection so we create idols if we don't have a better grapple around perfection and and again that's not good accountability all of this the individuals and seeking perfection is a massive distraction from long-term systematic change we have to deal with the fact that our faves in music, in politics, in in acting, entertainment, in culture, our family, our faves are going to sometimes be problematic because no one is perfect. We haven't got a grapple with that yet. I think technology and the algorithms amplify that a lot more, actually. Mm -hmm. I think think the kind of combativeness on certain platforms and and the, yeah, the like, I just think, yeah, I think technology could could help reduce that kind of eagerness of perfection. But all of this is a massive distraction. Mm. And social media, which which should be highlighting the issues, is what it's done is highlight the individuals. You know, I love, absolutely love Audre Lorde. I love Martin Luther King. I love Malcolm X. I'm, you know, I love so many of these amazing activists before me. But I, can't, I imagine if they were on social media. Mm. You'd be here. You'd be seeing their warts and warts and all. Perfectionism is is basically creating idols, and it's not a good accountability. And it means our movements are not sustainable. It's a distraction, and we're not talking about people. And I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's good digital self care to be spending time caring so much about individuals. But again, I think the platforms do that. I think the platforms make us want to have a have an opinion about Kim Kardashian. I mean, I think some people like Kim Kardashian use that to continue their platform but wh- why do we need to comment why do mm. i why do i get drawn into having opinion when i see her in, in the explore page to comment and then and then i and then i and, and then i see some of the most horrific things that people have said you don't actually have to press send think yeah. those things share the post in a in a secret whatsapp group say it to your friend I you have. and I have texted some of these things to each other. <laughs> I have, exactly. <laughs> I Just have. text. That's what DM. That's what DMs are for. DMs that's what are WhatsApp for. is for. <laughs> I have a running joke with everybody, including you. Th- tweets that I would never send. Yeah. Not everything has to be posted, <laughs> but and it's back to this conundrum, especially when we know that everything seems to be online and this massive digital footprint that that lingers around you forever and ever. Yeah. But I, 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 and this is where I think self-care again, going back to what I talked about before about self-care and rest and not being trauma-led, but trauma-informed is so important in dealing and addressing with these things that don't allow our movements to be sustainable. 100%. And also just uh, regarding Kim Kardashian, just because her name and my name are always like braided together. <laughs> what I will say is that something that's really like frustrated me is that I've called her out maybe three or four times ever or called that family out three or four times ever. I always do it in a productive way 
Once I was rude. The first time I was rude, but I also had like 10,000 followers and I didn't think anyone would see it. I didn't know mm-hmm. it would become the most viral tweet that I've ever had, but I said, fuck off. Uh, and that's bad and I regret that. I shouldn't have used those words. I should have been uh, more thoughtful. I just didn't know that anyone was ever going to see it. I was an idiot. Mm. But aside from that, after that, every time has always been thoughtful. It's been empathetic. It has not been with any kind of uh, hope to cancel them. I just want them to stop doing that one specific thing that I think is literally dangerous, that I know is dangerous to Mm. our society. And then I move on and I tell people like, you know what, just stop trolling her. Just unfollow or mute or block. Mind your business. Just go away. Hi there. I'm Liza Powell O'Brien, and I'm a writer, a reader, and the wife of someone you may have heard of. And I'm here to tell you about the newest season of my podcast for Team Coco, Significant Others. Each week, we tell stories you may not know about a person you probably do, like Benedict Arnold, whose wife Peggy may be the reason he almost succeeded in betraying his country. Look for Significant Others wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I said um, to my boyfriend that when I, because I've always said I'd like to die before him because I don't want to be on this earth by myself. I want to die before Um, your boyfriend too. (laughs) (laughs) So I said to William, the one of the things you have to do is uh, send a screenshot of my mute list so people can be really shocked at the people and things that I have muted. I, some of the times I don't even see the indirects and I don't even, I don't, I don't get it because I don't follow the accounts that people are talking about. I literally don't, I, maybe I'm like a grandma to, 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 to black Twitter and to feminist Twitter. Cause I don't, I don't see it until people say, why haven't you commented on this? Cause I haven't seen it. Cause Same. I don't want to follow the drama. Same. I don't and follow I think, most of the people that people ask me to call out. Why, why would I? I, I don't want to see that shit. And I think that's where, again, the education around using the platforms to serve your digital self-care so you don't get stuck into that cycle of going to Twitter for the drama, but going there to talk about the issues and not about the people, but, but the issues. And rather than calling, rather than saying, quote, tweeting something that somebody has said and has an opinion of and saying it's dumb, why don't we talk about the issues in the intellect of, it, intellect of it? And I think we have lost the art of debate. We have lost the art of having a conversation without, as I've said before today, and I've said it all the time on the, on the timeline, and it's not, and, and again, that's not something that is even sexy that gets that much re- retweet. What does get retweeted is when I do get annoyed at tech companies and I get a lot, and, and I'm basically, I guess, in, in a way, being hypocritical because I'm like, do something about this. And I get a lot of attention for that. But when I talk about the art of debate and doing things differently and with more grace and kindness, I genuinely mean it because we will be causing and using our words to hurt somebody, to basically in, encourage people to be to be causing themselves harm. Mm. And we can't keep waiting for there to be another suicide or another yeah. massive incident before we set before we say, oh yeah, be kind, and then we remember it for two weeks, and then we figure, oh yeah, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, and then oh yeah, Black Lives don't matter anymore. Like we can't we can't keep doing that. And that's because we keep making it about the individuals rather than the issue. hundred percent. Or the product of that. They are a product of their environment. Let's talk about the fucking environment because God knows they're not the only person who 
thinks that thing or talks like that. A hundred percent. I mean, Christ, I almost killed myself in February because of how hard I got trolled. My boyfriend had to like force me into a therapist's office and Mm. and get me put on medication for like three Mm. months because I wasn't Mm. safe near any open window. Like I was going to just jump out the nearest window. I don't have suicidal ideation. I just was, I'm someone who has panic attacks and then the panic attacks make me think like, oh my God, I need to just go right now. I do not advise that to anyone out there. That's a bad, bad decision. Um, But that's what I was driven to by how many lies were being spread about me and how my family was being harassed and how I was being accused of like uh, contributing to Caroline's death, which I had nothing to do with. Like she'd reached out to me that we, we we were fine. It was, it led me to a point. And I think because people think of us as like in our castles, they forget. And this is not just for a privileged famous person this is maybe for a non-disabled person or a a white but someone that you look at as privileged in some way and therefore or lighter skinned uh, as a person of color or a black person like you will look at someone as having a more privilege than you and therefore uh, less likely to feel pain from your behavior be very very careful because you have no idea what someone's going through at home and you have no idea that they are actually sometimes reading everything that you're saying you don't know if, what, what what's going on at home and if they've got the support. It's it's it, you know it was you're so you were blessed to be able to be at home with a boyfriend who yeah. loves you and could take you to get support and help. There are women who are on the receiving end of abuse and then are being abused by their partners exactly. at home, and then there's, there's no access to mental health. Like we just don't know. And this is why if we not we and this is the thing is as well when I say people need to mind their business because we're not even minding other people's business properly because we don't really know what's going on. We yeah. only have an idea of it. And I'm I'm, you know, it's very brave of you to be talking about some of the consequences that you've shared of 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 the online abuse you received this year because it, people need to know where it can go. And we talk about it in our well, I don't really need to talk about it. It comes up in our trainings. We've trained hundreds of women around the UK and around the world. Um, on on how to be safe online, digital digital self care and uh, safety, and we've got our toolkits on how to stay safe online. And y- women will tell you their experiences of how people have made false claims to child support services to try and get their children taken yeah. away. People have made false claims to the benefits office to try and get their benefits taken away. People have doxxed them, hacked them, and as you said, the repercussions for their family and their friends. And that's what's hard. When the police came and did checks around here because of the threats that were being made about me, and I was a counselor at the time, and my dress was public when I saw my mom's face that's what made me cry because in some way I felt like I had failed my mother you know she mm. made such sacrifices for me to be here and work here and 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 be who I was she was just thinking the worst that she her last daughter was in some way you know seriously going to be harmed and I just I it, it just that was just the thing that just pushed me to the edge and I think we need to know what we, when we say online abuse, and this is why a lot of our work around raising awareness is about getting people to understand the different forms and tactics it takes and the different impact it has. When people think it's funny to dead name, which is something that affects trans communities particularly, it's about dragging um, and bringing up their previous identity to try and shame and embarrass them. When that happens in particular conservative communities or anything around uh, sexual diversity in certain conservative communities, the knock-on effect of what that of what that can happen and what has happened to um, that individual's family is is mm-hmm. so sad. And that's what we have to raise awareness of that so we don't become complicit in that, whether directly or indirectly. We have a serious crisis on our hand, which is also why I get a little bit annoyed when we're talking about the individual. We need to be talking about 
fucking hell, like real systematic change, like real public dialogue about education online and holding these tech companies account. Because as we're talking about talking about individual cases, no one's holding the multi-billionaires of mm-hmm. the likes of Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey to account for what's happening on their platforms from the same the same profits they are making from our pain. And I want to end on my end my rant on this, that women have been getting death threats from the beginning of time since they've been online. It took the president right now of the US to get COVID for them, for platforms to make a statement to say, if you wish somebody dead, that you are violating the, violating the platforms, it's going to be taken down. Mm-hmm. Are you fucking kidding me? People wish serious? me dead all the time. <laughs> they wish you dead all I, the time. I've seen it. Uh, I, and, I, and I just... And I think this is the issue that we need to we need to be concentrating on holding power and systems to account. And I'm sure my trust is going to be like, I can't believe you said fucking hell. I'm talking about tech cannabis. It's fine. It's my way. It's a safe space. (laughs) Um, You've mentioned the words digital citizenship a couple of times throughout this. And it's one of my favorite terms of yours. Can you just to kind of round us off, explain it to us and tell us how to be good digital citizens online? I can't tell you because every day I'm learning, but I can tell you what we can aspire to Give as us a some society. Tips. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I can do that. But I don't want people thinking that they can go on my platform and think that I'm a good digital citizen. Sometimes I do, I fuck up. Um, but I, digital citizenship is about us having this understanding that we have rights and responsibility. We have mm. a digital right to be online. And even some of those rights as well are, being, are currently being violated and are under attack. But with every right comes responsibility. Like the right to education means we need, we should be responsible. I mean, I probably could have been a lot kinder to my teachers at school, but we should be responsible. And it's about understanding that the online space is an extension of our offline community. It's not this virtual world. It's not this binary com- thing that is in com- competition with the offline world. It's one big extension. And therefore, just like in the offline space where we have to play our part whether it's community activism, whether it's litter picking, whether it's bystander interventions on the tube because there's an annoying man being a harasser, there is also that responsibility on us. And the same way as citizens offline that we hold the powers that be accountable, whether it's your member of parliament, member of Congress, your house representative or whoever it is, Mm. we can also do that of tech companies. And we know that people are interested in this because they're fed up of seeing things on their platform. They're fed up of not having... Um, reports they made of violations on the platform not being taken uh, taken into account. So we know that people care. It's just that people need to know how to hold tech companies to account, how to hold MPs to hold tech companies to account. And this is what digital citizenship is all about. If we get digital citizenship right over the next two to three years, then we can really change the curve and direction of where things are going. But if we don't, more and more women are going to be abused online. Suicide rates are going to go through the roof. The NHS before COVID-19 we're already overwhelmed with the increase in cases of um, PTSD and other mental health illnesses in young people. And it was all relating to social media and mental health. We are going to see more people, um, and particularly women and non-binary people, marginalised communities, leave uh, careers like politics, like the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. um, like journalism, like teaching, like so many things, because they don't want to deal with the online abuse and the vilification that's happening in our online spaces. And it will mean a massive setback for human rights, a massive setback for democracy. And it will mean that our spaces, our online spaces are being hijacked. And I hope that in the years that I have left on this earth, before hopefully Idris Elba is ready to have 
uh, children with me. Lucky I'm Will. Lucky to- Will hearing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope that I can awaken some digital citizens to want to take back their online spaces and make it good. A hundred percent. So well said. And so that means question yourself before you press send. God knows I need to continue to practice that. Try to avoid quote tweeting. And sometimes I do it, but only now when I feel as though it's someone verified who I need to just create a civil discussion with. And I never encourage anyone to go after that person. In fact, I ask them not to. Be very careful about what you like. You know, Mm -hmm. that is part of your digital citizenship. That is part of your footprint. You are accountable for whatever you endorse. You know, we've been learning a lot about complicity this year. Mm. Just because you haven't said something, but you've liked someone who does, that's just a cowardly type of bullying. It's still bullying. It's still bullying. And just because you've seen abuse and you've scrolled away, you're also complicit. We need to help report the abuse. Yeah. So on our website, fixtheglitch.org.uk, we've got a resource under Little Means A Lot, which is ways that you can be good active bystanders online and we encourage people to report the abuse to reply to the post originally as originally intended because the dna of a troll or dna of organized trolling is to distract from the original message for example if i say hashtag black lives matter you have some dickheads that will be like but what about blue lives but what about all lives but what about white lives and then you 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 think you are able to have a civil conversation with them but you see the profile of the troll is somebody who's got four accounts and set it up in october 2020 they're not wanting to have a dialogue with you what they're trying to do is distract you from talking about the issue and so us all replying to posts as originally intended helps derail the attempt to try and um, uh, distract from the original um, intentional post. We can also encourage that person to document abuse because usually, and and, and when you're on the receiving end of abuse, it never feels like it, but usually it's one person with like 10 accounts. And if you help, if you can help document or you do document, and again, we've got a resource on our website, which is free for people to use and, and has helped people be able to build a case for prosecution it helps you to be able to see the patterns. Particularly, say you're, you know, in a political party, uh, you're in a political party for someone, all of a sudden you've all documented abuse and you start seeing that, oh, somebody's posting at a certain time or somebody's targeting certain candidates or someone's targeting a certain party. It helps build a case to be able to, to, be able to clean up our social media. Totally get that it's not fair. It puts a lot of emotional labour on us. But, but sadly, that's the way society goes. And the last important thing, which is which is links a lot to mental health, is send them a resource or a guide or some advice or a, a, a post that, that will help them feel better about the situation that is going on, that will reassure them that what they've experienced is not okay, yeah. that will help them think about self-care, that will help them maybe take some time off, go speak to somebody or speak to them who's sent them the resource because you literally could be saving a life. And those are, you know, those are really easy steps around active bystanders that we could, of what we can do online. But then us proactively as well, being careful what, what we upload on our own platforms and really seeing it as us adding to the community and are we adding toxicity and pollution to the online platform or are we actually adding positivity and critical thought and role modeling the behavior we want to see again i want to reiterate i'm not saying that we're going to all now agree with everybody online but let's start role modeling how we where how we politely politely and and civil civil civilly civilly that's the word I'm trying to say. Um, disagree online without it descending into this massive fight and this massive like battle of the, of the two. Because you know what else is going to happen? The media pick it up. Media, me, media are constantly reporting on spats that happen on social media and then making it this whole thing about X versus X. And then it becomes a massive distraction away from what the actual issue was. 
And I, and I, yeah, just massively want to encourage people to just check out our website. I'm, I'm probably biased, but it is, it is one of a kind in how it, how it doesn't victim blame and how it supports people online, but also how it's, how it encourages allies to be online. We've just put out a, um, a toolkit on, particularly on for black women managing online abuse and how allies can also support black women. And it's there for you to run conversations with your own community, run conversations with your friends. So more people can't say, oh, I didn't know that black women are more likely to be abused. Or I didn't know. 84% actually... is an astonishing statistic. Absolutely. Absolutely. We In our COVID-19 reports where I had the hunch that, oh, if we're going to do lockdown and we're all going to be online, online abuse is going to increase. We did a report and it proved the hypothesis that it, it 46% of women, um, and thank you for retweeting the survey, um, 46% <laughs> of women um, experienced some form of online abuse during lockdowns. So that was one in two women. But when you looked at black minoritized women and non-binary people, it went up to 50%. And it was cited that by 30, around 30% of people said it had increased in the last 12 months. So the online space is going towards a terrible date trajectory. We all have to play our part. And that includes tech company, but it definitely starts with ourselves. And remember, the kids are watching. And so we are shaping the future generation. And if Absolutely. we don't want them to participate in this gross behavior, I think about that all the time. I'm like, oh my God, what if I have kids one day and they look back and see that I said this? I've got like, delete. <laughs> uh, I, I think we really need to be accountable for the world in which we not only live in, but the world in which we are building. Um, so thank you so much. What is the website that people can go to to follow and find all of these brilliant resources? Thank you. So our website is www.fixtheglitch.org and you can follow us on, follow us on all social media at glitchuk underscore. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And I look forward to uh, connecting with some of you guys in a very civil manner. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if my audience just trolled the shit out of you after this. <laughs> um, Shay, before you leave, can I just ask okay. you, what do you weigh? Right now, I weigh hope and resilience, grace and lo a love for Idris Elba. <laughs> <laughs> and a love of the word dickhead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I say dickhead in, in both in terms of, you know, I'm cussing the hell out of you, but also in terms of endearment too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I adore you. I look forward to continuing our friendship and alliance and it's nice to finally meet you face to face nice and to I respect the work you do so much like I back you all the way and Thank I cannot you. tell you how much I have learned from this woman and how inspired I am by her I really really think you should follow her and her work because I think it's going to be one of the few areas that becomes vital to our survival both online and kind of offline in the fact that online as she said bleeds into our everyday world so follow her thank you for coming get back to thank saving you. the world Yay. and loads of love thank you so much for listening to this week's episode i weigh with jamila jamil is produced and researched by myself jamila jamil erin finnegan kimmy gregory and amelia chapelo it is edited by andrew carson and the beautiful music that you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend james blake and if you haven't already please rate review and subscribe to the show it's such a great way to show your support and helps me out massively and lastly at i weigh we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast please email us a voice recording sharing what you weigh at i Podcast at gmail.com and now we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners 
One of you wrote in to say today, I weigh my queer identity and I weigh the strength of hope. I weigh navigating what it means to be an American right now and the privilege of having a savings account during this time. I weigh my medication. And lastly, I weigh my identity as an adult child of an alcoholic. I have experienced every emotion in my recovery, but I weigh the gift of resilience and emotional intelligence that has supported me in it. 